0: the other, and you'll be around
1: the corner soon. Welcome to Live Label Free, the podcast, where you'll learn to let go of limiting labels and embrace your unique brain. As my mom says so beautifully in her song, Fear Which is why on this podcast, you'll learn the scientific links between neurodiversity and eating disorders, giving you a deeper understanding of how you can face your fears and become truly free. Together, you and me, we will keep putting
0: one foot in front of the other.
2: Hello, hello, and welcome or welcome back to the Live Label Free podcast. Today, I am speaking with Sarah Dosand, who is a psychotherapist and author of the book, I Can't Stop Eating. After her own recovery from binge eating disorder, she has gone on to help others do the same. She runs therapy groups and communities for binge eating recovery, co-hosts the Life After Diets podcast podcast highly recommend by the way, and creates videos about how to recover from binge eating on her YouTube channel, The Binge Eating Therapist. Welcome, Sarah. I'm so excited to have you on the podcast today.
0: Hi, Liv. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks for inviting me.
2: Of course. Well, I always love hearing my guest stories and what brought them to where they are today and what inspired them to do the work they do today. So I'd love to just start off there. What inspired you to become the binge eating therapist?
0: I feel like many other professionals in the recovery space probably have the similar story in that I struggled with it myself. So I was struggling with binge eating for uh, over a decade. And through my recovery, I decided that I wanted to go on to help others. I was still struggling with binge eating though when I trained to become a therapist. Some people think, oh, I recovered from binge eating and then I decided to be a therapist. I was so lost when I did my binge eating. I felt like life was passing me by. I think I was looking for some kind of meaning and purpose. And so I decided to train as a therapist, but I didn't know when I was training that i was going to end up specializing in binge eating i think to the back of my head i thought if i ever recover maybe i'll go into this field but it wasn't necessarily my intention in becoming a therapist i was a bit nervous to work with food disordered eating to begin with As i started i thought this is where i want to be i
2: i love that so so much and that totally reminds me of one of my favorite uh phrases which is your mess will become your message um because it it deeply resonates with me like i started my kind of trying to help others and spread my message and say um it's helpful to do this when i was still struggling as well and that that word meaning and purpose really stands out to me because i think when we have our own struggles we know firsthand how hard that must feel and we can understand others struggling with the same thing and I think because deep down we we have this desire and this yearning to help other people um I think that's almost what what creates this calling to help the very people struggling with the same problem is because you you you're so you have such deep understanding of that specific problem um that you can really feel all those pain points because you're experiencing the same thing um so I think it's so so beautiful how you've turned the, your struggle into really inspiring and helping others um because I mean I've listened to almost all your podcast episodes watched all your YouTube videos and the the value you you give it just it's so radically different from what I see in so many other kind of binge eating content um and I think that's that's the content we we need and it gives others permission like you're not broken it's just this biological mechanism and um the practical tips you give to deal with it I I just think it's so so amazing so really really I really admire you and I'm just honored to have you on my podcast so thank you again um so yeah kind of with all that said um how do you believe that labels and, and diet culture um influences binge eating and, and played into your your own struggles
0: so somewhat controversially i know you'll live label free but labels can be helpful and i think you talk about this as well to be fair um it's quite common i'll get a message from somebody who'll tell me i've been struggling with this for years and i just realized it's a thing when you hear that term binge eating you hear other people talking about it and you resonate with that I think there's relief so labels it's a way of trying to categorize and group things together and that can be problematic when we oversimplify it but it can also really create community and how do we find people that are going to understand what we're going through so I think that's part of it diet culture yeah 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 (laughs) okay (laughs) diet culture teaches us not to trust our bodies, right, tells us that we are supposed to be always working on our bodies, making them better in some way, making them smaller or making them leaner or more toned or a different shape. Um, And all of that just leads to a sense of not feeling good enough for many people. And I think for those who've never struggled with something like body image, I think it can seem on the surface, it can seem like a superficial, shallow concern. But when you get into it, people will feel guilty about that. I don't understand why I put so much weight on the shape of my body. And when we start peeling back the layers, it comes back to it's been associated with approval and belonging. And often it's about safety when you really look underneath. I don't think many things in life are really superficial when you start peeling back the layers. But, you know, I'm a therapist, so I'm always going to be looking for deeper meaning. so, yeah, I think that surrounding of diet culture, the sense we're not supposed to trust our bodies, we're supposed to be able to somehow figure out with our thinking minds what we should be eating. And anytime we have urges or desires for something different or something more, there's all the judgment that comes in. So that's the other part of diet culture, the moralization of food, which then leads to when your self-esteem is hooked on it, it then leads to, oh, I eat, quote unquote, bad foods. That means I'm bad for eating bad foods and so it was part of my work and my recovery was separating that so some people they go into recovery from binge eating and their binge eating just stops. but I would say for the first year or two of recovery there was still sporadic binging and I had to take the morality out of that and go it's okay if I occasionally binge I just want to understand it not it's okay as in I don't care because that's the other thing sometimes people will swing to I'm fed up of beating up myself about this. So I'm just almost gonna pretend like it's not happening. So if I binge, I'm just gonna go, okay, that happened and move on. And there was this middle ground. I'm sure you talk about middle ground all the time because the polarizing thinking that's often around disorder beating. (laughs) There's this middle ground of going, okay, I binged again. Uh, I don't feel comfortable about that. I feel disappointed, but I'm okay. I might have binged, that might not feel okay, but I'm okay. So no matter what I do, it doesn't impact how I feel about myself. And then there's an opportunity to reflect and try and understand what was going on, what might have triggered the binge, what's the lead up to the binge. Because people will either panic and try and control or they'll try and pretend it didn't happen and move on. That's the black and white response to a binge.
2: Yeah,
0: There's a middle ground of acceptance and that was a lot of the work that I did and the work that I do with my um, clients and community.
2: Yeah, I, I honestly just love there's so much that you just said that i was like this 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 that i want to unpack um starting with what you said about the labels like um and and when i say i actually have a sentence in my memoir coming up that's um, when I talk about my autism discovery and I'm, and then I have like in italics, like, but Livia, isn't autism a label? Like you're live label free. Um, and then I go into, um, basically what you were just saying about, um, how, how labels can, can serve a very important purpose. They can serve a very important function. Um, and if, if used to in certain, certain situations and circumstances, like in diet culture, um, then labels can be very harmful. Because I believe when someone feels very restricted or limited or like they should or shouldn't do something, that is almost always rooted in labels. Um, but these are restrictive labels and limiting labels. For example, um, whole milk is bad and um, this light bread is good, right? That's what creates this sense of restriction. Or if I binge, I am unworthy or I'm this or that or that. Um, and And that kind of ties back and to this idea of middle ground like it's it's this concept of of having labels in your life and becoming aware of which labels are actually helping me and serving a purpose like I am binge eating and then being able to label like um I remember you had a post on on Instagram of like your different types of binges like being able to I guess identify that or become aware of hmm, maybe something happened or maybe I didn't eat enough yesterday and which caused me to binge today like labeling that and being able to recognize that is super helpful because you can learn from that and um indeed like you said some people want to pretend it never happened but if you just wipe it away and don't take time to reflect on what what triggered this or what caused this um it'll inevitably happen again because you're not you're not taking from this experience and applying that new knowledge to the future um so I completely agree with you with um the labels and um how when I say I'm live label free, it's not like no labels ever, because if I can't say like I'm autistic, I will feel incomplete because like I feel like that's a, a label that's part of me and my personality. Um whereas with, with something that limited me, like my eating disorder, I I I don't identify with that label anymore because that restricted me from living life to my full potential um and another thing you said with that with um i think you just said um when when people say i'm i'm not bad for binging like i binge and it's okay um a huge um mindset shift for me that was super helpful and i i work with on all my clients that's, is that idea of replacing the word but with the word and so um um uh, i'm trying
0: to think of an example like <laughs> um i could offer one it could be that yeah. like you just binged you might think i'm feeling so so disappointed that i just binged and i still recognize i'm okay yes
2: yes yeah that's a great one because i think when we use the word but we're we're basically invalidating what we said previously and when we feel invalidated it just causes our inner inner rebel to come forth and be like well i can't feel this so i'm going to try and cover it up or numb it and i feel like that's when binge eating often comes in anyways and that's also Leads to that black and white thinking of like oh I binge anyways I might as well just keep eating and make myself so sick and so full because it doesn't matter. (laughs) Anyways, but if we are able to recognize like I just binged and it's okay and we have the permission to to make that choice to keep going or not like. That's when we are in control and it's no longer this external circumstance or this label of you are bad you are ashamed you shouldn't do this that that continues you to I guess dig yourself into
0: a deep hole of misery um for lack of a better explanation i have a question for you if it's okay um when it comes to labeling are you somebody who will use the phrase i am autistic or do you say i have autism is the language around that important to you
2: yeah yeah that's actually a super good question um it, it is it is really important and it's interesting because when i discovered I'm autistic, um, three years ago, I, I always, I showed a YouTube video that was called how I discovered I have autism. And, um, I had kind of been conditioned to use this, I think, person first language of like, I have this, um, because that was super important with my eating disorder. Like I had an eating disorder. I was not disordered and disentangling it from my identity was, was really key to, to saying I can, I can get rid of this because when we're when when we identify with something, we act in alignment with that identity. Um, But then someone actually commented or messaged me or something said, "Um, Livia, I really appreciate you making this video and have you considered um, using identity first language? Because most of the autistic community actually prefers saying I am autistic because everything we do is autistic and it's not like a disorder that we can just get rid of whenever we want to. Um, And, and that comment or that message like really opened my eyes and I started looking a lot more into this and it made so much sense to me. Um, So ever since I've actually really started using the phrase i am autistic um and kind of backing it up with well everything i do is is autistic like the way i think is autistic i can only see my life through the eyes of an autistic person cuz that's me um but but i mean i will often use them interchangeably just for that variety um but i think it it really is um about that identity and um when it comes to labels like it's, it's similar when, when people say like, I am gay or I am queer, they don't say I have gayness or I have queerness, right? Because <laughs> they, they identify with that. Whereas if it's a label that limits you, such as an eating disorder or um, some other illness, um, people don't say I ha-, People don't say I am cancerous, they say I have cancer <laughs> um, because they don't want to identify with that thing. So I hope that answers your question. Yeah,
0: yeah that's really interesting. Cause I guess with something like binge eating, people are wanting to not be that. So right. there's a separation from that. So to say, I'm struggling with binge eating rather than I am a binge eater, there's benefit. Yeah. But yeah, from an identity perspective, yes, if this is part of your identity, then and you want to own it as your part of your identity, then yeah, yeah, it needs person first, first, first language. Yeah, interesting. <laughs>
2: yeah, yeah. Okay, oh, great. Um, well, with with that said, um, I want to transition to the next question, which I think is going to be really like the central pillar I feel like of this whole conversation because because um, a lot of a lot majority of my audience struggles with recognizing physical hunger cues which often leads to binge eating or overeating or eating past fullness or anything like that um, and it's always I'm I'm not restricting right I'm eating Um, but but that leads me to the question of how can mental restriction lead to binge eating because I feel like this is a type of restriction that is often overlooked
0: Mm -hmm. so imagine that you were going to give a big presentation tomorrow live in front of 300 people you're going to go and talk about your new books coming out (laughs) um you could be thinking about that today and feel nervous right Mm -hmm. you might get butterflies in your stomach your biology is responding to anticipation of because you're not in that moment yet right and i think it can be the same with food if you're saying to yourself okay tomorrow I'm only going to eat this, this, and this, or I'm gonna restrict, I'm gonna cut out these foods. Your body can respond, your biology can respond in anticipation of that, because it's anticipating famine in effect. Right. right. And I think we have the primal parts of our brain and our body, they're always eavesdropping on our thoughts to yes. try and figure out what's happening, what's going to what's going to be the case. Because there have been times when I've been in a conflict with myself about eating a particular food and the more I'm in a conflict with myself the more the desire for that food increases Mm -hmm. and then there were occasions when I started giving myself permission when I was able to realize oh I don't actually want this food right now and that was shocking to me because I just thought my switches were all broken you know I was just in this obsessive cycle with food it was always going to be this way I just wanted food too much because there was something wrong with me and I had no self-control So I think that's a big part of how I might think of that and to really honor the fact that mental hunger is still hunger and when we think about food when we anticipate eating food our bodies produce ghrelin in anticipation of that like so our bodies get ready to receive food so even thinking about food can trigger that physical hunger like those signals to eat which can be incredibly confusing when you feel like you've eaten a lot I also think that the brain it it knows how much food you've eaten over a long period of time it's monitoring that and you can't fool it you can't fool it you can fool the stomach for a little bit by filling yourself up on you know um more voluminous lower calorie foods but the brain knows and what often happens particularly with people struggling with compulsive eating is if they don't feel hungry they don't want to eat Mm -hmm. because they're worried that they're going to be out of control they feel like "I, i have so many times when I'm overeating or that I need to make the most out of when I'm not hungry. <laughs> so I see that a lot with delayed eating throughout the day. Yeah. People not trying to skip breakfast or just trying to eat a lot less throughout the day and then they'll have maybe a, a substantial dinner and they'll say and I'm hungry after dinner and I don't know why because I'm feeling full and I've had this substantial dinner. We're right. not looking at the long overall picture. Yeah. So I think we have to look at the physical first and try to do our best to ensure that eating enough. And then we're looking at what are we anticipating? What's the judgment? And the permission part is scary for people because they think, oh, I let myself eat. I'm just going to eat everything. Yeah. And the permission part is also learning how to say no to food, but from a free place, except that I put it like this. You're not saying no to food when you're trying to decide whether to have something, the question isn't yes or no. Right the question the answer sorry isn't yes or no the answer is now or not now right very few occasions where there's one opportunity to have this food sometimes that will happen and you might have the food just because it's the only chance you're going to have this food most of the time there's another opportunity but if you're not giving yourself that permission in the moment of the tussle with the food it feels like now or never Yes. And that's gonna trigger off moment.
2: Yes, well. yes, that phrase of now or never, that's that that's that biological in our brainstem, right? The most primal part of our brain that's like, if it's now or never, well, now, right? Because otherwise we feel that famine. Um, and then that ties back to what you said about our, our brain and our body knows what we've eaten in, in the long term. So if your your brain has this this primal fear of we don't trust you. This is not safe. We are not in a safe situation. We don't know when there's going to be abundant food. Like as soon as you get that opportunity of abundant food and you're faced with the entire pack of cookies or the entire tub of ice cream, if your brain has this like ingrained fear of like, we don't know when this is going to be there again. um, Yeah, it's going to eat the whole thing and feel so sick and feel so full because it's like providing a literal safety cushion for future Famine, um, and and something my clients often ask me, and I'm sure this is something that happens with you as well, is like, but logically I know that there's no famine. Like logically I know I can buy as many tubs of Ben and Jerry's as I want tomorrow and the next day, um, and I think that that this just really has to do with that primal part of our brain that's being activated, um, because when our brainstem perceives famine, perceives that food scarcity, it it's not gonna communicate with the logical part of our brain, um, <laughs> because it, it's not logical mechanisms that are that are activated. And I think it's the same when someone is um very, very malnourished and they're just not eating enough food. Um their brainstem is almost uh in hyper arousal mode um over their logical thinking brain and that's why logical thinking often goes out the window because you your primal that primal part of your brain is like we need we need to ensure survival right now and if that's eating all the food right now that's what we're gonna do. Um so I think it's it's really, really important to recognize what you said about how that anticipation and and saying um like I, I can't have this. Um. Rat- well, you answer, you answer if it's either yes or no or now or, or later. I think that's such an important shift to make. Um. Because when you say, do I want it now or do I want it later? You, you telling yourself like it's always gonna be there. Um. And I don't have to feel that there's another famine right around the corner. Um. So yeah, thank you so much for sharing that. Um. And I loved that you started it off with um, the kind of. Example that's completely separate from food is like imagine you have to give a huge talk tomorrow, um, and you are like anticipating it, and you 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 get physical feelings like butterflies in your stomach or you heart palpitation to a headache because your body's like this is coming that that fear response is like already activating. So in order to prevent that fear response, you need to almost prove to your body and and in mind like it's safe you are safe um and of course there are many strategies to help with that which i'm sure both of us um work on um but kind of kind of bring it back a notch what are some examples of mental restriction um just so that people can get some maybe insight on ways that they might be restricting that they might not even be
0: aware of that's often the rules i think mental restriction shows up as rules and shoulds yes so some people might not necessarily uh, relate to the idea of rules but should so one that i might have felt uneasy about was so i would binge on sweet foods mm-hmm. so it wasn't a clear line but it would be things like well if i had if i had some cake or chocolate already that day i really shouldn't be having it again yes. so it's these kind of slightly sneaky ways that it comes in or if i'm not feeling hungry and I shouldn't be eating. I think that is a big one mm-hmm. because quite often if you have disordered eating and everything is a bit dysregulated and a bit yeah. chaotic, if you've got a, a brain or something that's feeling quite dysregulated, if you're saying to yourself, you should only eat when you're hungry, quite often by the time hunger has arrived, mm-hmm. it's too high to right. be properly satisfied. So then you, you can feel full, but your satiation styles are turned down. And I think that is the most triggering state when you feel dysregulated around food to feel full and to feel like you still need more because that stresses the brain out and all the beliefs around that. So, mental hunger, it shows up a lot. Yeah, exactly. And how we're thinking and how we're judging, judgments is how it shows up too. But also, I think let's respect men- mental hunger because it is still a type of hunger. Uh-huh. And for some people, food has a more emotional uh kind of purpose in their life so when we're talking about hunger we have hunger for food but a lot of our needs also can show up as hunger so we might be hungry for connection we might be hungry for stimulation so sometimes if you know that you are eating enough the question and you've been looking at the judgments as well the question might be what am i hungry for are there other needs that i'm trying to meet through food that Mm -hmm. food can't do so one of the ways I invite people to think about that is if they're having this urge for a food that they think might be emotional as opposed to restriction based Mm -hmm. is to ask the question what is it I'm believing this food is going to give me yes yeah and that can be illuminating in the moment because in the moment you don't know in the moment it's just fixated on the food so it feels like it's just about the food but often there can be other things going on as well
2: yeah, yeah, that that's so so powerful, and um, especially what you said about um, the, it being labeled in the foods. Like, if I sh- if I already had cake, I I shouldn't eat chocolate. Like, that's why I believe that the restriction is lab- is rooted in labels because saying you should or shouldn't, like, that's labeling your behavior as well. If I then do eat the chocolate if I already have the cake, then I'm bad. Even though what I found with myself personally through my own journey of um restriction and then extreme hunger and then i'm swinging to the other side and developing binge eating disorder was that whenever i said um i can't eat this or i shouldn't eat this like that's when i when i would be able to eat this thing i'd actually overeat on it because by saying that ties back to what we were talking about previously by saying I shouldn't do this you're telling your brain basically um worry about famine worry about scarcity 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 um and then so when you are faced with the thing your brain's like okay now's our chance let's let's stock up right um so so yeah with that kind of said like now that um we know like what are some examples of um mental restriction um and recognizing it I think that's very almost like thinking about the food and we were talking about um mental hunger that that is real hunger and a reframe that i that i posted on my instagram recently that i think is so so helpful and actually helps helped a lot of my clients i think that's really important especially for for my audience that is a lot of people with who are autistic or adhd because we literally like do not often do not have physical hunger cues um And then, and then it can make it even harder to eat because we're like, we've been conditioned by diet culture and by society. Like if you don't feel hungry, don't eat because otherwise you are emotionally eating. And that term in and of itself, I think is very problematic. um, Because if food was not supposed to serve any emotional purpose, we wouldn't have like bake shops and we wouldn't have cookbooks and we wouldn't have restaurants. If food was, if food's only sole purpose was to provide us with fuel, right? Um, so I think this comes back to that word permission is saying it's okay to eat and enjoy food and take pleasure from eating, but it's all about like the the extent to which, right? It's not black and white or like, in like, I can only eat for fuel or I can only eat if it's emotional. It's finding that middle ground, that that colorful spectrum. Because if if we only lived life, in black or white, like, it would be so boring. And I know that's so cliche, but it's it's so, so true. And um, what you said before about um, how mental hunger is real hunger, um, a reframe that I found really, really helpful was saying, well, mental hunger actually is physical hunger because mental hunger happens in the brain and the brain is part of the physical body. Um, And even though that may sound kind of like woo-woo for some people, like, when I started seeing it that way, um, it really gave me that permission of like, oh, like I have physical hunger, but I just may feel this physical hunger in a different part of my body than than other people may. Because when I know that I'm really hungry, um, it's I don't feel this like growling stomach. Like I don't when people describe that like, oh my stomach was rumbling, like I'm like, I don't even know what you're talking about because I don't I don't experience that, but I'll experience other things like I will just feel very very obsessive about food and, and that's like a major sign for me of okay my body is communicating I'm hungry with me um, so I think for each individual it's really important to kind of um, figure out like how does your body communicate hunger with you and then that ties back to that what you just mentioned about um is my body hungry for this or is it actually hungry for food or is it hungry for some other need or or am I trying to fulfill this other desire in some other way and um I think that's a huge part of recovery and discovery of yourself as a person is basically learning the different ways in which your body communicates different needs to you um so yeah with all that said what are some strategies that you feel that you've had success with your clients um of of ways to implement how to feel more peaceful around food, like how to feel more safe around food and to not feel so like, ah, like I'm afraid that I'm going to binge, so I might as well restrict because I think I'm going to binge anyways. Like that's that huge fear. Um, and especially if ha- one has unreliable physical hunger cues, how how can they create more sense of peace around food?
0: The first thing I would question there is, do you want to feel peaceful around food? I know that sounds obvious, but I think probably for yours and my perspective, kind of having gone through it and and found a semblance of peace with food, we can say, yes, it's totally worth it. But when you're in it, I don't know that when I was writing the binge eating, whether peace would have been a word that would have particularly resonated with me. I wanted control. Yeah, and I wanted to lose weight and I wanted to change this unacceptable body, <clears throat> so I think there's first of all, there has to be that willingness, there has to be that desire to make friends with food. Yes, yeah, that has to be a priority, I remember getting to a place where I thought I want peace of mind more than anything else more than anything else more than weight loss more than any of it because actually I'm hoping that if I get control and if I lose weight that that's going to give me peace of mind wait, wait. I'm hoping that that's just going to be the outcome not realizing that perhaps it's available to me now because part of my brain would go I don't want it now I want to change first yeah so I think that's the first bit kind of at the individual level about whether that um yeah whether that is something that you are in a place that you have a desire to make that priority i because there's i have quite a strong rebel in me i think a lot of uh people struggle in binge eating do a a lot of autistic people do too (laughs) yeah and one of the things i rebel against is things like routine and planning interesting yeah the idea of a food plan for example immediately felt restrictive to me right even if i got to design it so i think there's something about implementing regular eating but it's important just in regulating the system and we know that ghrelin our hunger hormone it learns our cycles of eating so if you have breakfast lunch and dinner at a similar time each day in in a matter of a week or two your ghrelin daily cycle matches up with that so you will start to feel hungry or at least ready for food you'll enjoy your food more at those times of day because your body will be producing ghrelin which means then when you eat it will be more satisfying so I think one of the problems where this gets problematic is people's brains have been soaked in diet culture so I know for me I did the whole CBT at one point um oh yeah (laughs) therapy for my my binge eating and I had to like design this food plan but I'll look back at it now and I'll go I know that wasn't enough food I mean breakfast was something like um, a small portion of bran flakes, yogurt, and a couple of egg whites to yeah. add the protein in, and I wasn't being called up on that at the time, Yeah. but really the whole reason I was just doing it that well, I need protein, but I want to keep the calories down right. and actually I don't think that that was enough food for me. Um, so I think it's important having that flexibility as well. So now I don't do a specific food plan, but today I know what I'm going to have for lunch and I know what I'm going to have for dinner. Yeah. That said, if something happens and for any reason I desire something else or there's an opportunity to have something different, then I will. So I think there's something about a flexible plan. So many people I work with wake up in the morning having no idea what they're going to eat that day. Right, yeah. And so trying to figure it out as you go along. So I think there's something really reassuring, one, to the brain knowing that food's coming, having flexibility, having foods that you enjoy that are then available to you. Because I, when I first found out about intuitive eating, I lived near a supermarket. So I was like, okay, well, every meal, I'm just going to see what I feel like and go and get that. Right. And that was just, it wasn't helpful. It didn't work for me in that moment. Right. Um, so I think I think planning uh, is a big part of it. But I think what really gives us peace is the way that we talk to ourselves about, mm-hmm. about food, about ourselves. And that, I think, is where a lot of the work lies. So that lies in... The permission part the demoralizations yes. of food that recognizing and just asking yourself in advance how do i want to react how do i want to speak to myself when i fall short of my own expectations yes and and people will go, I don't want to fall short of my expectations. I just want to get it right. And no, assume you're going to. Assume at some point you're going to feel out of control or you're not going to eat enough or you're going to eat too much. And you're going to have some difficult feelings about that. That is going to happen in recovery. So we need to anticipate for those moments because when they come, often the thought is, oh, I've gone back to square one. Oh, I've blown it oh who was i kidding i was just deluding myself that i could do anything different from how i am but if we know that those moments are going to come and we're going i knew this was going to happen i knew i was going to feel like this yes i don't like it it doesn't feel good but i knew it was going to happen we change the meaning for those kinds of things because actually recovery isn't about learning how to get it right with food Mm -hmm. it's about learning how to bring yourself back in balance particularly when you feel off balance it's this constant fluctuating thing, something like an appetite. So the other thing with peace as well is to recognize that your appetite does fluctuate, especially people with female hormones and hormonal cycles. Yeah, We have that. But imagine you have a food plan in your mind and then you have a hungrier day, for example, or you have a less hungry day and you feel like you're kind of forcing it down. There are some days when I'm just hungry and I just find myself wanting to eat a lot more and I don't catastrophize that anymore. That used to be really scary to me. So when I used to fight it, you fight your fluctuations, yeah. You're then gonna end up, you know, with rebound yeah. things
2: Uh I I loved, absolutely loved, um that, that idea of flexible planning, like have, okay, the mug, let's take a moment. The life after diets mug, I love it. I love it so much.
0: You need to get a live label free one.
2: Yeah, that's so funny. Cause like the other day I was like, oh my gosh, I should start creating merch. Um, and one of the, I wanna create a mug that says, Um, you are golden and then the um, element gold because the element gold AU is a symbol of autism. So I was like, oh, I love it. (laughs) Um, And it's like the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow because life in full color. I was like, it's the best idea ever. Um, But anyways, um, I think what you said about having this plan and like knowing what you're going to eat for breakfast, lunch and dinner and having that flexibility in there. Like, can we just like shout that from the rooftops? It is just so 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 powerful and I think so in I guess in radically different from what they say about intuitive eating and that's why I have kind of heart problematic time uh Experiential thoughts about this idea of intuitive eating is eating whatever you want whenever you want no rules nothing never knowing anything but like especially I think it's so relevant um to have this flexible plan for the neurodivergent audience because we do struggle with those hunger cues and when we are in hyper focus mode we can go for hours doing all the things and writing our books and doing these activities and be like oh shit I haven't eaten for six hours and that's what causes that that rebound effect but when you have this plan in place um it it gives that sense of trust and safety for your body to know food is coming and I know it's coming because I have this plan um and that prevents that primal brain from feeling the famine um so I think that that is in, in in quite contrast to what people say about um just always listen listen to what your body wants in that moment because it's it's not really realistic because like i can't do groceries three times a day for each meal like now i'm craving this so i'm going to go get that like i wouldn't get anything done if i did that right like i i don't want I, I do my groceries and kind of buy a variety of things that i like and enjoy and and kind of go from there and plan it loosely but if i have this super super intense craving that i'm like i need a donut right now i'm going to go to a bake shop and and get a donut because that's what my body needs in that moment um So I think, and then yes, the word when you, I wanted to say, but I was like, I think she's going to say it, that word permission of giving yourself permission to, to allow your body to, to fluctuate and have different needs and have needs that you couldn't have predicted two days ago. Like I might want a croissant later this afternoon, um, or in in two days, but I'm not going to know that I want that today because maybe my body just needs that in two days. Right. Um, saying this is what my body needs and, and I have permission to honor that. um, And and I can trust that my body will handle it and will balance itself out. I think that is really that key to um, dimming that fear of like, oh, well, if I eat now, how do I know I'm never going to stop, right? Because that's that huge fear of like, what if I never stop eating? So then I'll restrict and I'll do this. But it's that very restriction that we talked about, right? That leads to the to giving your brain evidence almost that when you do eat, you're going to have a harder time stopping because of that rebound effect. Um, So anyways, I, I feel like we talked about so, so much invaluable information, and I have no doubt our listeners
0: will get so much out of this. Can I just comment on the listening to your body idea? because that gets floated around a lot it's like listen to what your body wants I've also heard it said bodies don't want things like donuts like that would be the mind that wants that you know is it are you feeding the mind are you feeding the body yeah. all of this I think it's really challenging message because bodies don't have language so bodies don't speak to us yeah. in language we when you we using our minds we have to interpret what the body, what might be going on in the body and what we might do about it. And how do we do that? We have to use our thinking mind, which is full sort of diet culture messages. Right. Right. So it gets filtered through all these judgments when you're trying to listen to the body, I think it's an incredibly complex thing that sounds really oversimplified. It's complex when you've got lots of competing thoughts. Mm-hmm. When you don't and when you trust and when you can connect and all of that and if all of that body mind connection thing is working well like it does in little kids it will be simple yeah. but then we become socialized and we have these thoughts we have these judgments we have all kinds of different experiences so i just wanted to say that to anybody who's trying to do that whole listen to their body thing it will be incredibly difficult especially if you're still in that disordered yes. eating disordered thinking around food phase and not even that even if you're just soaked in our culture as we all are
2: Right, right, right. And then I feel like I love I love that because it it almost reminds me again of that word permission, like giving yourself permission that it's going to be difficult and that you're still capable of of learning and becoming better every day. Not it's going to be difficult, but it like I can't do this but it's 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 impossible, right? Like yeah, it's difficult because I mean, that's life. Life is difficult. Life isn't easy. And we always have the power to to choose a new identity and to to choose actions that that we believe and that we know are aligned with who we want to be and like living that life of of freedom. Um, So, so yeah, any, any final
0: thoughts, Sarah? Just to lead on for that, I think with the whole trying to tune in with what it is you might want, sometimes it's you just make your best guess. And sometimes you might reach and have something and, you know, maybe it doesn't feel good in your body and you think, oh, that wasn't what I needed. Mm -hmm. that that's that's part of it that's part of the experience and we don't have to catastrophize that we can go oh that's interesting and I spoke about this recently I I might still have food regret but Mm -hmm. I don't have food guilt I remember that,
2: that yeah I love that yeah
0: yeah and the analogy I used was you know if I went out for a walk and it rained and I didn't have my umbrella I might regret that I didn't bring my umbrella yeah maybe I could have anticipated it was going to rain but for whatever reason I didn't and you know I just regret not having I don't feel guilty that I didn't check the weather forecast and I didn't bring it with me just in case I didn't overthink it and all of that sometimes we sometimes we go out and we get wet and life moves on sometimes we eat something and it doesn't feel good and we think another choice might have felt better can we move on yeah
2: Yeah, I I love that and it reminds me of another phrase quote I read somewhere that was, um, in life, we don't either win or lose, we win or we learn. Um, And I think that's so, so tied to what you just said. It's, it's not, oh, I I lost now I feel guilty, I shouldn't have done this because where your attention goes, energy flows, right? If you're going to only be focused on how awful the situation is, you, you actually dig yourself deeper into that situation. But, but if you say, Th- this happened and it wasn't the best outcome um and and now i know for next time like to check the weather and to bring my umbrella with me or now i know for next time if i eat uh five tubs of ice cream yeah i, I don't feel very good like maybe i'll, I'll try another strategy next time right we're, we're we're all lifelong learners and i think giving ourselves permission to to fuck up for <laughs> lack of a better word and make mistakes and say I learned from this and next time i'm going to be better and i know i'm going to mess up again um and that's okay because that's going to be another learning experience i think that is almost that golden ticket to giving yourself that sense of peace is saying um you're never going to know exactly what's going to happen um and you you also know that you're always going to keep learning so really like the worst possible scenario like doesn't even need to ever happen because you're always learning from it and always have that choice to improve. Um so yeah, thank you so much for sharing. Um, and I, I'm really excited for everyone to, to read your book, I Can't Stop Eating, because I loved your book so, so much. And um, you give a lot of the same analogies and, and metaphors um, that, that I share in my content, which I just love so much. So yeah, where can people um, find your book, learn more about you, um, get in touch with you if, if they want to, and um, yeah, kind of share where where you are at
0: sure well I'm, I'm the binge eating therapist on Instagram and YouTube and the podcast is life after diets I would say that my best content is YouTube and the podcast because Instagram's great but mm-hmm. it's real snippet so I always yeah. feel like I'm I'm having to simplify things which is great sometimes but yeah. you know then people feel just... like frustrated because they don't know how I to see. apply yeah. it uh, and my website is com. if you want to you can message me via my website or have a look at my services for
2: them amazing well i will also leave all that information in the description or the show notes below um and I'm, I'm so excited for people to learn more about you if they haven't already um and get in touch with you if they want to work with you um because i think you're truly amazing and your podcast and youtube channels is invaluable and of course your book also a very um let's say revolutionary resource in this world that is infested with diet culture. Um, so thank you so much, Sarah, for, for coming on the podcast. Um, I, I really enjoyed talking to you. All right. Bye everyone. Thank you. Lib.
1: one foot in front of the other. And you'll see around the corner soon. This podcast has been recorded by your host, Liv, this podcast has been edited by my wonderful friend, Dharma, and the beautiful song, One Foot in Front of the Other, that you are now listening to was written and recorded by my beautiful mom, Louise Alexandra. I am so grateful for my team and everyone who supports Live Label Free. Together, we are always stronger.